0: I've had a
1: deep, passionate love for my painting practice and my dance practice. They've been like the two true loves of my life, as I use this slightly naff term, being quite promiscuous across art forms.
0: Hello, and welcome to the Terpsichore podcast. We're back in 2023 to bring you more intimate conversations with leading women in dance. If you're new to the podcast, my name is Emily May. I'm a British-born dance writer and critic, and I've been based in Berlin, Germany since 2018. Named after the Greek goddess of dance and chorus and also an allusion to historian Sally Baines' seminal book on postmodern dance, Terpsichore Sneakers, Terpsichore celebrates female dancers, choreographers and bodies in motion by interviewing leading women from the dance industry. For episode 19, I was delighted to welcome Florence Peak to the podcast to discuss her life, career and the female dance practitioners that inspire her. Florence is a London-based artist who has been making solo and group performance works intertwined with an extensive visual art practice since 1995, presenting work internationally and across the UK in galleries, theatres and the public realm. She's known for an approach which is at once sensual and witty, expressive and rigorous, political and intimate. Florence explores notions of materiality and physicality, from the body as sight and vehicle of protest, to the erotic and sensual as tools for queering materiality. Most recently, she's been working on her exhibition and performance, Factual Actual, focusing on the possibilities of painting, exploring its relationship to movement, and upending its static representation often found in museum collections. Originally commissioned by London's National Gallery in 2021, Factual Actual has been on show at Southwark Park Gallery since the 16th of April and will close on the 2nd of July before touring to Edinburgh's Fruit Market Gallery and Towner Gallery in Eastbourne later in 2023 and 2024. Alongside Factual Actual, Richard Soltoon Gallery in London has also been showing Enactment, a complementary exhibition presenting new installations, sculptures, canvases and works on paper that continue Florence's research into the possibilities of painting. I couldn't wait to sit down and speak to Florence about where her interest in melding human bodies and artistic materials came from, the absurdity of the performance-making process, and why she never lets her work arrive in one place. So hi Florence, thank you so much for joining us today on the Terpsichory podcast. How are you doing and where are you speaking to us from?
1: Hello, hi, thank you for inviting me I'm speaking from my parents' house actually, very funnily In Finsbury Park where I've been living for the last two years Before finding a new place to live
0: (laughs) Thank you so much for giving us your time During what I know is a very busy time for you With all your shows and performances But we're super happy to talk with you So let's just kick things off with our first questions And I wanted to ask you first Like we do for all of our podcast guests And start at the very beginning and ask you about your first experiences of dance as an art form but with you I know that this question is a bit different because you work between the worlds of dance and visual arts so I wanted to ask you a bit about how you got into both of these or if one art form came first and when did you see the possibility of melding them together
1: I've had deep passionate love for my painting practice and my dance practice and so they've been like the two true loves of my life as I've kind of I use this slightly naff term being quite promiscuous across art forms but I've been very faithful to those two forms. (laughs) I have always painted from a very young age so I suppose that's the one that I have a longer relationship with and then I was really passionate about dance and used to just take myself off at 11 years old on my own to Nikki's Fun Jazz at Pineapple Dance Studios back in the 80s you know then it was dance routines to Grace Jones and Janet Jackson and things and I just absolutely loved it and I fell in love with dancing very passionately also when I was 14 when I saw Michael Clark's I am a curious orange with the fall. I think that was, you know, seeing those kinds of practices or ways of presenting work and ways of exploring work that has, you know, music, but live music and objects. The guitarist was kind of wheeled in on a giant hamburger and Lee Bowery's costumes, which are so sculptural. So from that moment on, I was constantly making up dances in my head that used kind of costumes or objects. I remember like wanting to have a motorbike and ride a motorbike on stage. It always had a kind of hyper theatricality to it you know the 80s with lee anderson and laurie anderson you know they're all these different practitioners that were really exploring how to bring in sculptural costume and live music text all those things are starting to be played with those were a big big influence on me. I always was painting and drawing from the figure, life drawing classes, clay classes, all these kinds of things but very much kind of on my own from quite a young age. My parents are both artists so that was very much in the house and my dad is a painter but also works in performance, textiles, amazing textile pieces he works with and writes incredible text and poetry and photography and painting so again that was a big kind of influence on me those kinds of practices and whacking things together and very much just trying to kind of make performance happen make things happen immediately rather than feeling contingent on a particular scenario or situation to do that in yeah
0: amazing because I mean I asked this question of when you saw the possibility of melding dance and visual arts together but it sounds like it was quite natural then that you're always surrounded by these different art forms
1: through your parents yeah friends and everyone we were all sort of doing that about 20 years ago 25 years ago i did start doing particular experiments in particularly paint and movement so that was a kind of melding i did sort of think of right i really want to try splatting these things together and it was really very cliched and basic experiments what kind of is the remnant of the gesture the recording or the imprint of the ephemeral act of performance So it was kind of playing along those very kind of 1970s. Feminist performance art Carolee Schiemann-esque Type thing Or the uh, Viennese actionist Painters or Gutai So it was very kind of Basic and cliched in a way Not that I think Those people working In those kinds of forms Or practices today Not that I think That that is But I think You know It's something that There's such a rich canon A rich history Of mark making Through performance You know It's like how to How to work with that or what you're going to do With that history in a way So you said that
0: You started working on that Around 20 years ago Exploring it in more detail was that kind of before or after or during you went through your training and if so can you also tell us a little bit about your training process or what you did as a student?
1: I've had a very unconventional training. So I did my first dance training at Lewisham College in 1994. I left and then I went into lots of different kind of experimental dance forms, mainly training with skinner releasing techniques. I went into that very full on, did lots of training at independent dance through different practitioners, Eva Arzag, Helen Poyner, Miranda Tufnell, so all very somatic based route of dance. At the same time exploring, drawing, painting keeping those practices alive. Then in 2006, I think it was, I went and did an MA in contemporary performance making. And that was a lot around writing for performance. And that was at Brunel University. So it's been quite all over the place, (laughs) really. It's been this quite
0: natural or organic training process, I guess. Did you pick kind of things as you went along and like realized what you wanted to delve more deeply into is that how it kind of evolved
1: yeah I also did like a training in rebirthing which is a breathwork therapy in the 90s and went and studied with Leonard Orr in America with that my dance interests really bridged into the different kinds of spiritual practices and more to do with the psychotherapeutic realm in a way. It went down that route as well. And then there was always drawing, always painting that was sort of there alongside. From that kind of melding time after these kind of trainings that I did, I suppose those practices were before I went and did the MA. I started looking at, what is this thing of looking at materials like plaster or clay? or found objects or fabricated objects? What is the relationship? How do the properties of each of these things affect and choreograph the body? and what is that relationship what is the encounter so going into kind of more like jane bennett vibrant matter mode or you know donna Haraway ideas and things like that so what is the encounter what is the kinship relationship with these materials and things so that's where it started to take that kind of interest
0: that interest has informed your practice for most of your career now right and it's kind of influenced so many of your performances but in different ways and so i've listed a few here that that's really evident in so from all the amazing videos you sent me obviously there was right which was performed at Paris's Palais de Tokyo in 2018 and so that is on this whole bed obviously you know but just describing for the audience on this whole bed of clay in which three nude performers slip stamp and slide across it and they also like encase their heads in this clay turning into sculptures themselves and then also was watching uh, Apparition Apparition your performance with Eve Stainton in 2019 for the Venice Biennale where you invite the audiences to draw on your bodies as well, can you maybe talk a little bit about how you develop these ideas in these performances or other ones that come to mind from this initial starting point of the melding of human bodies and artistic materials?
1: So, the video that I sent you of Wright was the kind of smaller version of it actually, because the larger version of that is five performers Katie Coe, Samir Kennedy, A. Delafay, Iris Chan, and Susanna Riccia. I just want to name these incredible collaborators. And that was on six tons of clay, huge bed of clay. The audience came in with two of the performers buried underneath the clay. And so the audience don't know (laughs) that there's these people underneath and then the whole floor starts moving as they're breathing. And yeah, like you say, it goes through all these different kinds of states where the clay gets built on the whole body as a kind of bodily extension. And then when there's more water added, stage becomes this kind of sloshy wet kind of river of clay that then of course is choreographing the body in a very different way because you can't stand on two feet so you're just slipping and sliding and there's a kind of whole other kind of rhythm or gesture or emphasis on what the body is doing there and then we also use Stravinsky's Rite of Spring in it so I wanted to do a kind of sculptural reimagining of Stravinsky's Rite of Spring it's kind of primal visceral nature it's kind of instinctive using the instinctive intuitive body as a kind of force against change as a kind of protest as a kind of way of being able to kick out against conventionality or a kind of conservative and kind of fascistic relationship to the body. So those are the kind of themes or ideas behind the work and how clay or that sound or that music, which the music is so about kind of ambushing of one's self and flings you sculpturally all around the place. And I also wanted to do a kind of quite a kind of cocky thing of like, I love that music, but why do I have to wait to be famous to do it? <laughs> so I thought I kind of, I want to sort of inject or insert myself in the canon of choreographers that do it, even though my work is mainly in visual art context rather than dance context. Yeah, it was a absolutely joyful and very stressful process.
0: I just wanted to jump in about right as well while we we're on it, because you mentioned about the canon of people who have choreographed to this piece. And obviously, one of the most famous is Pina Bausch. And I was just thinking when I watched it, she performed this on the soil, but with you and the better. Of clay it almost takes this kind of natural element to a whole new level because they're like actually really becoming at one with this clay and I was just wondering when you were doing it did you do much research into other interpretations of the Rite of Spring choreographically or specifically Pina Bausch? Oh yeah I
1: know I love that one and I think I might have seen that live actually. For some reason suddenly like loads of people were doing the bloody Rite of Spring you know it's like, <laughs> you have an idea and you think you're being really original and then it's like everyone's doing it you know like when me and Eve started working with slugs and all of that stuff around 2017-18. Suddenly then everyone's working with slime and slugs and queer aesthetics and stuff like that so it, yeah, it's very funny how these ah. things kind of enter the zeitgeist and the collective conscious. It was very much like the clay was choreographing the body. The clay was impacting in this way there was no way that you could control it in any way. It so sort of had to kind of submit to its will in a sense it just started to be very apparent that there was just lots and lots of interpretations of Stravinsky's Rite of Spring. Javier Loire's one as well, I quite like that one, which where he's by himself and he's kind of being the conductor. That's a stunning piece as well, and I've seen that live. And I think, you know, that kind of feeling that, like, oh God, everyone's done it, I can't do it. And then you think, oh, fuck it, you know, (laughs) I want to do it. I'm obsessed with that music. I'm obsessed with clay. I've got to kind of bring the two together. And another thing I really noticed,
0: like watching the video version that you sent me was that in the presentation of the dancers' bodies, they're at times grotesque, at times they're quite sexual and sensual. At other times they're vulnerable, but then they can seem also very powerful. So there's all these different kind of characteristics that they take on in the presentation of the human body. And I know you've talked talked about in your like texts and press releases about how you um use the human body and physicality to make political statements or trigger political conversations can you maybe tell me a little bit more about that and maybe specifically in reference to this piece kind of what political statements you're looking to make with with the
1: body there are politics inside my work and insiders work but yeah you know, I often kind of think of you know artists that really are activists who really are amazing political agenda in their work so I think the kind of politics is kind of innately inside the work but I often feel quite like you know it's not doing what sort of certain people do in terms of how they kind of take risks in their work but in this I do feel like there was something about Clay being a queer material, it's alchemical, it transforms, it continuously is transforming states. I love that, that I feel that there's a kind of politics in that. There is a breakdown of control or modes of manipulation or in a way kind of anti-capitalistic or consumerist ideas even though you fire clay and then it becomes a cup, a saucer, a plate, another kind of object. It does become a commodity, it does become something that is consumable etc. But in a way before that it's kind of staying in this state that it can shift states it shifts and I think of it almost like a kind of psychic material that transforms us and as we touch it or we look at it being touched it does something that's kind of transfers a way of connecting with each other and encountering each other so in the piece when it gets performed for most of the work you kind of sit as an audience member kind of looking into this pit of clay so I'm sitting on the outside and then halfway through it starts to be that the clay starts being thrown and the audience are getting covered in the clay as well so there's something for me about this kind of blurring of the spaces blurring of the boundaries, the body merging with something that means that we're not kind of sitting with it, kind of the abjectness of the body, sitting with it kind of over there at arm's length our queerness, our transformative nature as human beings, the encounter with objects and the earth is having to be kind of digested and assimilated in some way it has to touch you i don't know if that's particularly political but i think there is something about having this kind of blend or or place where we have to encounter each other in a different kind of mode than an individualistic sense of ourselves.
0: And I really love what you said about the idea of clay as a queer material and the fact that it is changing states and stuff because I think I had never thought of that kind of metaphor for it before but it's like a really interesting take on how we can assign materials qualities that are beyond just the like physical properties that, that they hold.
1: Yeah I mean there is very much this kind of anthropomorphizing of materials isn't there mm-hmm. as well you know and I don't really mind doing that because I think it's a kind of activation of the imagination in a way of sort of connecting two things clay you know is it's so bodily it's so much like referencing shit's spit internal organs the kind of inside the interiority of the body is then kind of outside of the body so there's that whole reference to clay as well
0: and it always makes me think of as well in gcc literature we did these war poems there was always this talk about the soldiers returning to the clays of the earth i think that that always stuck with me about this idea of the connection between humans being built from clay or arising from clay. There's all those kind of
1: references which I think are great as well in the Battle of Solomon all those things of the churned up earth and mm-hmm. and there is a violence there and there is, you know, and then there's a tenderness and a huge eroticism with it so it's where all these kinds of states and sensualities sort of meet and cross and kind of get confused or layers. I like that very much in my work that things open to a multitudinous nature Nature or kind of layered multiplicity of meaning and subjectivities mm-hmm. and objectivity. So the references are very, I suppose, quite like. I'll talk about factual actual in a minute but in right it referenced a lot of eras of classical sculpture Carolee scheman's Meet joy or yeah. <laughs> um going through to different kinds of you know almost like cave paintings so it was kind of excessive again in its references of kinds of poetry it becomes a metaphor for things which i think yeah. is something i enjoy looking at in dance as well Is how a body can suddenly become or dance it becomes almost not a body it's like transforming and becomes a symbolic, something that's kind of continuously offering different readings, different ways of perceiving. I think when you see performance that's really exciting or performer in that way it's it's amazingly how it kind of transports you into different worlds or different ways of different images you know you're no longer a kind of a head and two arms (laughs) you know you're kind of Mm -hmm. you know a submarine or I don't know what it also makes it a lot
0: more accessible as well for audience members because if you said oh it's very like grandiose and all of the different references it has but then if there are all these different references that also means there's a lot of different levels on which an audience can key into it or interpret or it. Find meaning.
1: There is quite a lot of that in my work that I like playing with ways of being able to access it, but I wouldn't want people to feel like you need to know about gutai performance or whatever or the impressionist era <laughs> or <you laughs> whatever. I think is yeah, absolutely not. On that
0: note of not having to know about all these things, I wanted to talk a little bit about humour as well, particularly in your piece Make from 2012, so a little bit earlier. So for people who don't know who are listening, that this was a piece at your Yorkshire Sculpture Park and it sees a group of 10 women building and dismantling a monolithic structure through a series of choreographic tasks and I really like how it said it was parodying and unveiling the hidden labour of the art making process and so I just found this piece, I really enjoyed watching it because it's very playful and also quite comedic. And I wanted to ask you about the role of kind of humor. It's an important feature of your practice.
1: I mean, I don't go out to make funny work, mm-hmm. but I love humor and I think it's really important. For me, it's when you really can address something quite dark or address mm-hmm. some very painful things that go on in a subject matter. If you're kind of addressing that, you you know, really are able to embrace that. I think there's inevitably humour humor will come out of it. There's always these complex different sides to things. In terms of art making, there's a lot of absurdity. And in terms of performance making, I mean, it all becomes so absurd, the ridiculous things that you end up doing as a maker in terms of the install or with different performances that I, you know, me and Eve sort of having a blinding row in the toilet before we go to do the performance or, you know, know, carrying a ridiculous object onto a plane, off a plane, onto a bus, you know, and this thing that's meant to go and then perform, you know, the whole sort of behind the scenes activity of these things can become so ridiculous and absurd. But I think there is something about addressing that that I enjoy very much. I like to address the pretentiousness of art making. I lived around artists, being an artist all my life, so not in a disrespectful way, but got to have quite a good sense of humour about yourself as well. Me and Eve collaborated a lot together, and you're talking about the Venice Biennale, work. you're sort of exposing yourself and putting yourself into very kind of vulnerable situations. You know, so it's a kind of always these sort of very weird, sort of double edged sword or kind of funny type ropes that you're working on or the edge between these things. So it's more of that, but I don't think I'm necessarily just like going out to make a really kind of funny work. And it's funny throughout the whole pandemic, I didn't make any funny work. It was all really serious and miserable stuff, you know, which I needed to do. And then coming back to making after the pandemic, factual, actual, there's a lot of humor in it and playfulness. So... That's been nice to discover again that I do have that.
0: You are saying about the absurd situations you get into in the performance making progress, it just flashed me back to when I was at Larbon and for some reason I'd done some shooting in Greenwich Park and walking back through Greenwich and Deptford with a completely blue painted face and not understanding why everyone thought it was so funny and uh, weird on the streets and just thinking, oh, well, this is the most normal thing in the world why is everyone
1: laughing exactly is that i mean and we're all being in like those absolutely ridiculous sort of situations and me and Catherine hoffman that i do a lot of performing with again finding ourselves in the changing room before we do our show in three inches of beer on the floor in a broom cupboard trying to do our makeup you know and we're kind of we're both 50 we've both turned 50 and we're like here we are. We've arrived. <laughs> Here we go again in a broom cupboard, squashed in, trying to kind of do all this stuff. There is so much kind of performance in what happens behind the scenes. I've just finished this 50 meter painting that I have at the Southwark Park Galleries and the studio assistant that I'm working with. We just found ourselves in absolute hysterics a lot of the time trying to manage this unwieldy, almost like it's like a dead dead body slapstick almost stuff of trying to manage this huge painting and also feeling very bad tempered and angry but then being able to have a right old laugh by it afterwards so that was good
0: amazing seeing as you're talking about Southwark Park galleries let's go on to Factual Actual which is currently being shown at Southwark Park gallery and also with a complimentary exhibition at Richard Sultan gallery called Enactment I believe Factual Actual is a continuation or a further exploration of a performance that you had at the National Gallery in 2021 maybe we could just start by talking about that performance from 2021 could you maybe tell me about the original themes or things that you were exploring for this performance before we get onto what is being
1: shown at the moment it was part of the Poussin and the Dance exhibition at the National Gallery. Poussin's like this quite technical classical painter from the, I think it's the eighteen hundreds, seventeen hundred, something like that. These kind of very kind of ensemble scenes of these choruses of dancers going through the woodland glades or nymphs dancing. So very particular, very much from that kind of white male Western canon of classical painting. And as you know, the National National Gallery is kind of a big colonial kind of monster of stuff. And, you know, there's not many, practically no women painters in that collection or any artists of color, black artists. So um, I think they're doing a lot to change that. And I think that, you know, I have a big respect for their institution as well. It was wonderful to get this commission, but I kind of wanted to relate to the narratives that are invisible there, the different kinds of bodies that are obscured in the making of painting, the labour that's behind a lot of these paintings, you know, these big masters of painting would work in collectives, you know, they they were never just alone. I did a little diva number and I demanded to have one of their big gallery spaces without paintings on the wall. And they happened to find me one, which which was really good. So the audience had travelled through all the Tintoretto's, Titian's, the Spanish section and into this burgundy, embossed, brocaded room. Very beautiful. I hung four, four to five-metre canvases from the ceiling, great height, and these kind of collapsed canvases that the dancers then pull up and down, unclip and throw and cover the audience in these canvases, crumpling them, folding them, collapsing them. So I took this kind of gesture of the collapse as a kind of metaphor of collapsing a cannon, collapsing 2D form into a 3D form what's behind these canvases what's behind these objects so it was Natifa White, Temi jose Katie Coe, Iris Chan and Rosalie Wilfred we played with this in the original score and Eve Stainton has joined also the troupe uh, <laughs> Summit Park Gallery so we threw these paintings around so it was very kind of a reverent look at painting and a kind of dismantling of what painting can do, looking at the kind of different kind of gestures of painting and especially around the classical canon for the National Gallery. In a way, looking a bit at the kind of violence behind that form.
0: And I wanted to ask a little bit about the process of how you developed the performance and the paintings for this specific exhibition. Did one thing come first and then inspire the next bit or did the physical performative layer and the paintings that you use kind of
1: develop simultaneously? So I was working with movement practice and mark. Making practice, having canvases, large paper, huge paper, and large canvases on the floor, on the horizontal. And I'd work with different sort of imaginative processes that were about ideas on the body or ideas on falling. It's very much like from Skinner or different approaches or Helen Pointer's work or my own approaches, touch based processes, if it was working with other people. And so mark-making and moving. I take, usually I take those canvases or those papers filled with kind of marks and I usually then put them vertically on the wall and then I start reforming, reworking, taking the kind of remnant of the gesture and sort of speaking back to it in a way and riffing off the gesture to kind of build characters or new relationships to the body. A lot around the idea of the imagined body or the felt body, the sensual body, how we perceive ourselves. If the marks are like this kind of trans transcribe of the movement the transcribe of the body the kind of fact of the body (laughs) in a way then what is the kind of imagined relationship what's the fictional body what's all these ways we perceive ourselves as multi-special multi-gendered multi-layered in terms of ourselves and I'm quite interested in that real schism or chasm between the documentation of your body or the fact of the body or an empirical practice and how it sort of jars very much with our own feeling and our own experience of moving through the world and our internal relationship with the body so factual actual like what's real what's not the paintings then develop with these kind of fictional narratives of the memory or the experience of that movement so that there was a lot of this kind of practice going on since kind of 2016 17 these paintings that were being made through that process and I kind of wanted to like lift that and turn that into more kind of live performance and this opportunity at the National Gallery came so a lot of the canvases well all the canvases that were used at the National Gallery have these kind of figurative explorations on them the ones that I've just described and they were made with the dancers in the show as well.
0: Amazing you mentioned a lot of really nice words there like mark making transcription of the body and documentation and that brought me onto this question I wanted to ask about The fact that a lot of your performances create objects in the process of being performed which are then exhibited in other places as kind of like almost like artifacts of performance which i find really interesting because dance is so often described as like an ephemeral art form that leaves no trace and obviously this has been explored by various people but for you specifically why is it important for you to kind of ensure your performance works leave tangible traces that can then be seen in different contexts
1: I mean, it really isn't. That's not the place that the thing has arrived at. None of it's contingent at all on any of it, but I like that once the remnant or that thing has been made from the performance, that then needs to take on its own autonomy, its own life that might then speak into other things. So often I do writing from that object or maybe there's another performance that comes out of that. So it kind of continues in a way. So there's always this kind of thing of continuation and things not arriving, even though it's there in an art gallery in Rome or whatever is this kind of on a plinth or whatever the gallery have chosen to do with that thing. I don't sort of see that as a kind of arrival point, And I see that it kind of is something then has a new kind of existence in a way. I think that I'm not very romantic about that notion. I don't really want to get wedded to this idea of things kind of needing each other too much or being contingent on each other or that there's something that there's a kind of extraction and abstraction that then happens that is generative. So it's all generative rather than kind of arriving at something.
0: On that note, of kind of generation and evolution how has Factual Actual changed or evolved or been reinterpreted for its current showing at Southern Park galleries
1: well I did a 50 meter painting by four meters and that wraps around envelops the whole of the white cube space there at Southern Park galleries and it's all with participants from the kind of local community and from I think actually some people did come from Oxford so (laughs) it's not completely accurate that but um yeah different kind of groups that are around the park it's an incredible park so we did lots of these kind of movement processes that disorientate our location of our idea of the body and then in the other space which is Dilston Grove which is a deconsecrated church it's gutted And it's the first poured concrete building in the UK. It's a very striking space. I felt very privileged to use it. And it's been running as a kind of artist project space or gallery since the 80s and has housed loads of different performance artists, including the amazing Anne Dean and even Paul McCarthy, the visual artist. Lots of different performance practices have happened there. Uh, Tai Sharni's work has happened there, Fanny Pirelli. It's very expansive in its history of performance as well there. But funnily enough, a lot of people don't know about it, and it's a very, very striking space. And... There I have seven canvases, one of them six meters. There's a three that have still this very this figurative kind of drawing on it, and then the other four canvases play with abstract expressionalism, a kind of real splurge of splattering of paint. I mean I think they're quite beautiful as objects, but they're also kind of play or parody of abstract expressionism as well and i always think of the paul mccarthy kind of video called the painter i keep referencing that because it's quite a funny thing about the kind of male abstract expressionist in his studio being terribly complex about everything and then throwing paint around Uh, so how that actual actual performance has developed from the national galleries then we could use wet paint so there's a kind of whole wet paint section with katie cohen irish chan We've got a whole stack of history of art books from kind of white canon and we sort of ask the audience to pick out pieces of writing from that. And we reconfigure or reform those pieces of writing and the dancers read out these kind of new texts that we've formed. Yeah, there's just more thrashing of canvases around the space, more layering of sound. So the sound is bigger, more architectural textural use of space with the pulley system. So there's a massive height, nine meters high that the canvases are hanging from and they're kind of these big drops. So the canvases are very heavy. so the great weight of them and sound of them is is really beautiful. And Temi does an amazing solo with frames. So I cut out a lot of paintings from the frame. So it's just the wooden stretcher of the frame. And she's got all these like frames. It's why I suppose it's quite kind of slapstick. I wanted to do all this thing where you're kind of juggling and throwing these stretcher frames around. And I thought, oh, God, this is really on the nose kind of feminist statement. Like, don't keep me in a frame. I need to get out of the frame. <laughs> but it actually ended up being quite funny. So it was quite a nice thing. Very playful again to put that put
0: that in. I just wanted to talk a little bit as well about the show that's also on at Richard Saltoun enactment which I was very happy I got to see one of the things I thought of actually and now you speaking about the kind of parodying male artists and also I think in the text you say something about um, looking at the kind of idealist presentations of dance in the art canon was that one painting I can't remember what it's called but one painting reminded me of Matisse's The Dance but in like a kind of completely other way more like realistic and less idealistic way that he presents it. But yeah, maybe could you speak a little bit about the works in this
1: exhibition and how they relate to
0: what you've been showing at Southwark Park?
1: There's quite a lot of works that are quite small little drawings actually from the documentation Factual, actual actually. Yeah, and then there's things like there's a whole costume that one of the performers works with in Southern Park Gallery and some of that costume is in the show at Richard Saltoon Gallery. And those are these kind of lumps really that I call medallions. They're abstract pieces and they were kind of grief lumps that I did throughout lockdown and then started to wear all these layered up like kind of almost like scales or something. They get kind of taped to the body. I think of was like coagulated matter or condensed energy that's held in the body and this kind of way of externalizing that this kind of thing that's internalized or inside that hasn't got a voice or can't be seen and through that process of Painting it or taking it outside of the body, there's a transference or a transformation from dislocating it from inside the body onto a painting or onto a sheet of paper. But is it like these kind of layers and it's like gougy kind of paint and like lots of drawing into it? And they, they take a fuck of a long time. So they take ages, but I've got about 30 or 40 of these things. Yeah, they feature a lot are the folded collapsed canvases that are like the folded collapsed canvases at Dilson Grove, different processes of that factual actual process of the the mark making through movement and the fictionalised or imagined felt body, yeah, different documentation. So it kind of stretches over three years of bodies of work or work that's related to this process and things there's also writing that's related often in my work there'll be kind of many sort of spores of of different things that kind of help with framing and thinking and embodying these ideas
0: looking to the future potentially in reference to factual actual or other projects or just things in a broader sense what are some of your kind of plans or hopes or ambitions
1: for future projects. Factual actually is touring to Edinburgh Fruit Market, their amazing new performance space there, which is this kind of gutted warehouse space. So very different from Dilson Grove, which has this kind of religious element to it. So that's going to be adapting the work for that situation. Again, it's an art gallery. So I feel like there is that context there. Then it tours to Towner Gallery in Eastbourne, where both the 50 metre painting and the performances will take place so uh, I'm really excited that it kind of has this further life
0: As you said it's going to two other art galleries and with this in mind I wanted to touch on the fact as well that like while you have presented work in theatres you do mainly show in gallery spaces such as all the ones we've mentioned but also Hayward Gallery you've worked at as well, uh, Whitechapel and the Baltic and the Serpentine to name just a few more. I wanted to ask why is this obviously your work being between movement and visual art and painting lends itself to this but are there other kind of reasons why you feel like you've with your movement practice gravitated towards the gallery space as opposed to a theatrical setting
1: I think it's good context for my work because my work is often related to sculptural processes or art making processes but my god it's not for one of trying i'd absolutely love to make a work for stage and have a situation where there's a seat and bank you know lighting and sound and there's really good infrastructure for performance so i would absolutely love that i find it very hard to get dance programmers to actually come and see my work i think it's quite limited here in the uk experimental work dance work or work across crosses different art forms and incorporates different modes of exploring dance and what dance can do and be i think dance houses kind of understandably you know it's a very difficult art form in lots of ways and how to kind of get bums on seats and blah blah but you know i don't think there really is actually a theater that's dedicated to experimental dance there's not Um, in the UK not something like kind of arsenic in Lausanne you know not something like that or some of the places in Berlin you know where programming is a hundred percent queer let's bring in the queers let's bring in the let's bring in the kind of you know people who are really thinking in different ways about what dance can do and be I'm saying all this at the risk of probably not being included more (laughs) but um, I think that a lot of visual art contexts are very good for my work in just in terms of understanding the materiality and the objects in my work are as much as a protagonist as the live human animated animacy of the human body. You know, there's a kind of animacy there of these objects. I see them as much as part of that. And I do think it sometimes can be problematic doing that in a theatre situation or putting them on stage they do become props or a set rather than a sculpture, you know, or a painting. Yeah. So there's quite a lot in that discussion, really.
0: And it's interesting you say it because before this interview, I was reading Sarah Wookiee's book, Who Cares?, which is about dance in gallery and museum spaces and features a series of interviews whom you are one. And you say something to this effect about that there aren't as many opportunities in the dance world. That was published in 2015. And I wanted to ask, do you think much has changed in the UK from that? point when you said this and saying that there wasn't many opportunities or do you think there's still not so much space for experimental dance?
1: Yeah I don't think there is. I think dance institutions are you know you might have a program or a season of or a festival or something we're all sort of fighting over those little crumbs of getting into those festivals and then of course there's a lot of wanting to bring international arts, and of course that's important I'm not meaning that in any weird way but the exchange sometimes doesn't kind of go backwards or forwards it's maybe a kind of lack of commitment or dedication to experimental kind of processes but I think since I was in that book I regret quite a lot of things that I said in that so, <laughs> so uh, yeah don't don't quote me on any more of it. We've come to the last question
0: of the podcast which again like the first one is something we ask everybody and it's because as this is the Tepzikri podcast and we focus on interviewing leading women from dance and art we always ask if you could meet and talk to any female dance practitioner or movement practitioner from history who would it be and why and maybe what would you want to ask them
1: yeah i got a bit flummoxed by this i think there's lots of people that i would like to have studied with in a dance studio being taught by them slightly terrifying idea as well but i thought i think it's not individual single authorship practices actually i think maybe i would be much more interested in kind of going to a kind of collective quite a lot of those pioneers in dance history or throughout any kind of movement of art form it's usually come out by kind of collective body or a marginalized group that has then kind of found a voice and then you'll have the one person that kind of in a way gets a bit more noticed or for technological or economical reasons that person has kind of been framed a lot more so you know anything from judson church lot to black mountain college to anna halprin's kind of interracial groups to you know i mean the ballet russe you know that would have been an amazing group of people they weren't particularly marginalized marginalized or anything but collectives that recognize the force and power of bringing many different kind of voices in i'm much more interested in that like what it's like to sit in a room or being in the studio and even in you know being around in studio dance studio really moving with a whole group of people you feel that power and it's not then just the teacher's voice it's not the facilitator's voice. It's like we're all in this together. And I am interested in how dance does that. I know there are incredible figures in dance history that have created incredible thinking and work and material and carved a kind of pathway but i'm always quite fascinated by like the judson church gang or other groups that have formed together in a way lots of vibrant stuff has come from that thank you so much again for your time
0: today it was an amazing conversation and have a lovely rest of your day oh brilliant thank you i hope you enjoyed the 19th episode of the tepsicree podcast with the amazing florence peak If you'd like to find out more about Florence's work, why not follow her on Instagram at Florence underscore Peak or check out her website at www.florencepeak.com. If you're based in London, also don't forget to head over to Southwark Park Gallery to see Factual Actual before it closes on the 2nd of July, or to Richard Soltoon Gallery for the accompanying show Enactment which closes on the 8th of July. Also be sure to keep an eye out for Factual Actual's upcoming iterations at the Fruit Market Gallery in Edinburgh and Towner Gallery in Eastbourne later this year and in 2024. If you've enjoyed this episode, I'd be so grateful if you could subscribe and leave us a rating and review, as it helps other people to find us. You can also follow the Terpsichore podcast on Instagram at Terpsichore underscore podcast or Twitter at Terpsichore underscore pod. Thanks so much again for listening to the Terpsichore podcast with me, Emily May.